Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys. Thanks for being here today as we continue. Actually, we're going to be wrapping up a series we've been in for a number of weeks, God's Wisdom on Healthy Relationships. Now, this weekend, we are, hopefully you have been warned multiple times in case you have small children in the room or something like that, Uh, but we're going to be talking about sex. You can't talk about healthy relationships. You can't talk about relationships at all unless you talk about sex and sexuality. We're going to be talking about that today. So, one last warning, in case you want to have a really awkward conversation with your kids over lunch, you might want to put them in the appropriate areas. But uh, we are so glad you're here today, and I want to just say right up front that after 30 years of ministry, there has not been any area of people's lives where there has been more heartbreak and difficulty, hurt, setbacks, frustrations, and confusion than the area of sexuality. I see it all the time where it is just a really difficult and hard thing to manage, especially as it gets outside of, and we're going to talk a lot about this today, what God intended for that area of our life to be. And part of the reason for all this heartbreak and difficulty and pain in our world in this area of sexuality, I truly believe, is because we have bought in collectively as a society, as a nation, especially here in in America, we have bought into a set of myths that are just not true. So here's what I'd like to do. Before we dive into any scripture, any the Bible, I wanna just share with you some research. There is an, an incredible book by Mark um, Regener- uh, Regernus and his comrade, um, Jeremy Euchre, and they wrote a book called um, Pre-marriage, or Premarital Sex in America. And in this book, it has a wealth of empirical data that shows some of these myths that people have bought into. Now, I'm not gonna be able to share all of those. If you wanna read the book, you can buy the book, but I wanna share four of them today, and I want you to think about, have I bought into some of this? Or somebody that I love has bought into this? Because I've seen some of these really wreck people's lives. And let's just kind of go through some of these and we'll talk about the myth and we'll talk about the fact behind what is the research actually shown, empirical evidence shown to be true, okay? Are we fighting against just the fabric of the universe? Like this is the way God made, this is just what's true. And as much as we'd like for two plus two to be nine, it's always gonna be four, you know? It's just, it is the way it is. So let's take a look at these myths together. Myths regarding sex and marriage. Here's the first myth. First myth is sex, this is if you're single and you're dating, right? Sex is necessary to sustain a struggling relationship. So if you go through a hard patch in a relationship, man, the way you save the relationship is have sex. If you'll have sex, then that'll make, help bring you closer together. That'll fix it, right? The fact is, research shows that the sooner relationships uh, become sexual, the greater the chance for breakup. It actually is almost a guarantee that it's probably not going to make it. And, and what happens is that many times that when you enter into a sexual relationship in a dating context is that now your body, there are certain hormones and chemicals that are released in the body that cause you to bond with and begin to um, connect 
at a deeper level with this other person, but yet there's no commitment. They don't even have a commitment to call you back the next day, right? And now you have all these feelings that you don't know what to do with. So people wind up staying in relationships far too long with people they shouldn't be with because they just don't know what to do with their feelings. They're so intense, right? And this is what the fact is. Here's the second one. The second one is porn won't affect your relationships. But the fact is pornography, pornography now affects virtually everyone's relationship. And here's what I mean by this. The research shows that Pornography brings this crushingly heavy weight, women, specifically upon your shoulders, to look in terms of your appearance in a certain way and to perform sexually in a certain way. And what has been shown over and over with the research is that pornography, for the majority of men who are using them, is it diminishes your capacity to even desire actual women and want real relationships you know, and, and, and don't even bring up marriage and all the challenges that go with that. Like, and I don't want all that. The men are backing away from those commitments, which is shrinking the marriage pool for women. And this undue pressure is forcing more and more women to accommodate sexual images and sexual styles and performance so they feel like they have to this is no good for women and it is no good for men either but the reality of the research is showing that it is slowly a detriment it is hurting us as a society and as a people but nobody will seem to call it nobody's like getting honest like hey we need to stop we need to back away from this because the addiction has gotten so deep and i'm going to talk more about if you are needing help to get free of something like that, we can offer that. And I want to talk about that a little later in the message. Here's the third myth, that sex doesn't have to mean anything. It's just a physical act. It's just recreation, man. It's just getting your needs met, right? But the fact is, the empirical research shows that when it doesn't mean anything, we stop feeling anything. The research shows that the more sexual partners somebody has, it diminishes their capacity for intimacy. It literally causes the body to stop generating the hormones and chemicals that cause us to bond together. So what was once this beautiful, euphoric, incredible feeling that goes with sex, it goes to numbness. And some people spend years there. When will I ever feel anything again? When will I ever feel anything? That's what people are starting to deal with. Number four, Moving in together is definitely a step towards marriage. But the fact is that people who live together before marriage are more likely to be divorced. And also the evidence shows that the people who move in together before they get married are more likely to never get married. They are, and when they do get married, if they do get married, they're more, more likely to have long-term distrust issues with each other. And whether it's processed like this or not, if you couldn't exercise self-control before we got married, what makes me think that now you're going to, now that we're married? And I've talked to many couples that struggle with this, and for good reason, because it has gone awry for them. And here's the tragedy, guys, is that because even though the 
evidence proves that these myths are completely false. We continue to buy into them as a culture and say, we don't care. We're going to keep doing them. As a matter of fact, we will applaud. Oh my gosh, you're moving in together. That's great. Wonderful. Next step in the relationship. But it's not leading to healthy relationships. It's not leading to a relationship that is in sync with what our Heavenly Father had intended from the beginning. It is causing more heartbreak and hurt. And people can feel, I mean, I've talked to people like I knew something was wrong. There's this, this like uh, dissonance and this friction in my soul that I, this is not right. I'm, I'm not moving towards greater peace and joy and towards God. Like it, it is causing me all kinds of issues internally. And what I would like us to do this morning is to turn our attention to the biblical approach to what married sex is all about. Why? Why does the Bible, why does God through his word bring us and ask us to keep sex inside of marriage? It's primarily a way to know God and to build intimacy within marriage. That's what we're told in Scripture, that that's really the goal. And God says, and if you will use it for this, you will experience greater fulfillment than you can imagine. It's amazing when things are used the way God intended them, when they're used right. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to turn our attention now to the first passage of Scripture in all of the Bible where it talks about sexual union between a husband and wife. It goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And I want us to take a look at this together. I'm going to kind of break down what does it mean, what's being said here. And here's what it says. And by the way, before I read this, this is actually quoted four times total all throughout the Bible. And two of those times, I believe, were just Jesus answering questions about Marriage. Anytime he got a question about marriage, he says, it was not this way from the beginning. Like, yeah, you're talking about a sort of a messed up situation that has happened, but let me take you all the way back to what God intended from the beginning. This was what Jesus taught us to do, and he brings them back to this passage right here. And the Apostle Paul does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's what he says. It says, this is God speaking, and that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is, let's say this, highlight a word together, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They become one flesh. Now, is this passage talking about sexual union between a husband and wife? Yes, it absolutely is, but it is talking about so much more than that, okay? So let's break down a couple of these highlighted terms. First, let's talk about flesh, Flesh here. Flesh is a synecdoche, which is a figure of speech where a single part represents the whole, like a phrase that we would use like counting noses, right? The nose represents the whole person. Well, here, flesh is a part of the whole, and the whole person is what he's talking about here. They become one flesh, one complete and total whole person together. Now, let's back up to the word united United, which is many times translated cleave, to cleave together, to become one, is to make a binding covenant, an agreement with God, simultaneously with God and with your spouse at the same time. You're making a commitment to God, you're making a commitment to them at the same time, and that's what marriage is. That's why we call it the marriage covenant, and this is primary 
to this kind of intimacy that God's calling us to. To put it another way, what God is saying here is don't unite or to become one flesh with someone physically unless you are uniting with them emotionally, personally, socially, economically, financially, legally, and in every other way imaginable. Like he's saying you need to be doing this all together. To put it even more bluntly, don't get naked and vulnerable with someone physically if you're not simultaneously getting naked and vulnerable with them in every other way imaginable in your life, right? Because this is what God intended for marriage, is it for it to make this kind of huge statement to the other person. That it's a symbol, yes, but it is a physical act of I'm giving myself an act of love completely to you. To put it another way, the act of sex within marriage is saying I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. And I'm telling you, you get two people that are saying that from their soul, from their heart to each other. Woo, it doesn't get any better than that in the bedroom. I'm just telling you, God knows what he's talking about. And when we use sex to say anything less than that, we hurt ourselves. We cheapen it. We use it in a way God never intended for it to be used. And it breaks our heart, breaks other people's heart, and it starts to tear at the fabric of who we are on the inside but the lack of willingness to be humble, pride has kept our society from saying, whoa, hold up, pump the brakes. We are messing up here. This is not heading in a good direction. We don't have more and more healthy relationships. We have less and less. We're not moving in a healthy direction. All the statistical data is saying we're moving in a worse direction. Ever since the 1960s to current day, and back in the 1960s, as you'll remember, when the sexual revolution happened, when sex was really, as a society, moved outside of marriage and began to be used in all kinds of ways. And ever since then, we have been on a steady decline as a nation in terms of satisfaction and happiness in our relationships. And I understand, ladies and gentlemen, that correlation doesn't always mean causation, but it is an interesting correlation, isn't it? that there's something to what is happening to us as a country, that the further we get down this road, the more it is hurting us as a people. And God's telling us there is a biblical ethic that I have laid out for you in my word, and I want you to follow it. And here's what it is, is that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. Sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. God says, this is what I made it for. Right? And this is the entirety of counsel of Scripture. And God is helping us to understand how to do this. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to turn our attention now to maybe one of the most shocking teachings of the Bible in the New Testament on married sex. This is where the Apostle Paul is just throwing down, okay? He is just like being really honest about here's what it means to have a healthy sex life within a Christian marriage, and it's over in 1 Corinthians, so his first letter to the church in Corinth, which if you know anything about the Corinthian culture, <laughs> they were about the most promiscuous people in the Roman um, 
empire. I mean, they, they, anything goes, right? Temple prostitution and promiscuity of every different type, everything that you can imagine was going on. And now these people are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's writing to them saying, hey, 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 let me help you to understand the new rules, right? Let me help you to understand how to keep from messing up your life and, and to get out of that downward spiral of heartbreak and disaster that you keep just creating in your relationships. Let me help you to get free. And so here's what I'd like to do. I want to read it through, and then we're going to make some observations and point some things out that I think could be really helpful for our marriages. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to husbands and wives. He says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And he goes on to say, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. I'm kind of stressing that, right? Limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So obviously that'd have to be a pretty important prayer request. Okay, let's keep going. Afterward, afterward, after this time of separation and prayer, right, you should come together again so that, and, and here's Paul introducing the reality that we have a very real spiritual adversary that wants nothing more than to rip us apart from each other and from God. He's saying, make no mistake about it. Now, you can believe it or not, but it's going to happen. He's here, and he, he would love for you not to believe in him so that he can keep ravaging your life and messing you up and breaking your heart and tearing up your marriage. He says, so you come back together again. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's saying it is important for married couples to continue to have healthy sex life. Now, let's back up for just a second. And let me talk about the context of which he is speaking into in this day. He is speaking into a time, and ladies, you're probably not going to like this, but I want to describe this to you because it is historically accurate. Back at a time inside this Roman Empire that women, specifically wives, were considered legally possessions of their husband. They are part of his property. Okay, I know you're not going to like that. I don't like that. I have three daughters. I don't like that a bit, but that's how it was back then. So Paul speaks these revolutionary words. Let me just emphasize, they had never been said before. They had ne this had never been taught before. Nowhere in history will you find this. But he is telling them, hey men, hey husbands, that body of yours does not belong to you. All authority over your body is your wife's. Say, what? That's right. And that any sexual fulfillment, any sexual relations that you have should be fulfilled by her and her alone, only her. What? Now, here's what I don't want you guys to do. This is totally wrong. Don't do this. Go, don't go home and say, hey, baby, this is your playground. You're welcome. <laughs> Don't, don't do that. It didn't work for me, it won't work for you. Okay, anyway, I'm telling you, so here's the Apostle Paul. He is speaking into 
a gross double standard. He's speaking to a gross double standard that was going on in this culture and in this tradition of the Roman, Greco-Roman world that said men can sleep around, have as many partners as they want to. Husband, doesn't matter. You're encouraged. Just get out there. Do whatever you want. But women, if you think of doing this, you are despised. You'll be divorced. You'll be kicked out on the street penniless and have nothing. And Paul says that ends today for the Christians. We don't treat each other like that. We don't act like that. That does not reflect Jesus. That's not the love of God. We stop that. We're not going to treat each other like that anymore. And I know to uh, modern ears, to when we hear that, we go, yeah, get them, Paul. Come on, you know? Equal rights, civil rights, right? And I just want you to know that's part of it, but that's not all of it. He was talking a little bit to that, but more importantly, he's trying to show us that Christian couples ought to have deeply satisfying sex lives. What? That's right. As a matter of fact, I came across this commentary this week. I want to share it with you from Siampa and Rosner on Corinthians, and here's what they wrote. It said, Paul, in effect, redefines marriage as a context for the mutual satisfying of erotic desires. I can't even believe that's in a commentary, but that's so awesome. Okay, the erotic desires in contrast to the pagan philosophical idea that the purpose of marriage was for the procreation of legitimate heirs. But see, to the Roman mind, why would you get married? You don't get married for sex, because you can have that anywhere with anybody, right? You get married so that you can pass on your name and your property is sort of like live on after you die. And Paul's saying, no, that is a messed up way of thinking. That's not the way God wants you to see and view marriage. He wants you to see marriage as like, she is your only legitimate way of reaching out and experiencing true intimacy. And he is your only true way of experiencing intimacy. He's telling married couples, he's saying, listen, a deep and satisfying sex life should be a part of your life, but it should be frequent and it should be reciprocal, and that one partner should not withhold sex from the other. Now, obviously, there are caveats to that. If you are grieving, if you are sick, if you are injured, Please hear me. Like, now, I understand, but under normal, healthy circumstances, he's saying we ought to be self-giving. That's that act of love for each other that happens on this most intimate level. Now, let me just share a couple of guidelines with you right now that I think could be really helpful for you. Those of you who are married and want to really say, hey, I'd like to take the next step into this biblical idea of what sexual fulfillment looks like in marriage. Well, here's the first one. Husbands, love your wife as your only legitimate romantic outlet. Okay? And I'm going to say the same thing to the women. Wives, love your husband. Um, wives, love your husband is your only legitimate romantic outlet. And let me just speak to the elephant in the room. Pornography is slowly taking over people's minds in this country and you may think that's an overstatement but statistics will tell us that the pornographic industry in our nation is a multi-billion billion billion dollar industry it grosses more money not many people know this more money than professional football baseball basketball and hockey combined people are addicted it's not just men 
there's a huge statistical upswing of women that are using pornography these days. And it is bringing our affections, our erotic fantasies to somebody that we are not in covenant with. And it's important for me to remind you today, based on God's word, men, you are in a covenant with your wife, not that porn star. Ladies, you are in a covenant with your husband, not a porn star. And when you have these erotic fantasies about somebody that is not your spouse, you are robbing them some of the delight, the joy, and the love that is meant only for them. And it begins to diminish your capacity to give them intimacy if you do this over time. This is not my opinion. This is just the statistical facts of our world, and it is the way we're made. As much as we love to be able to say, that's not me, that's not true, that's not this world, we can deny the laws of gravity all we want, but the moment we step off of our roof, the reality painfully comes home, doesn't it? And that's what's happening to so many relationships. And it's important for us to say, okay, you're my only legitimate outlet for romance. And I'm gonna stop it. See, God has given us the ability, we've asked for his help, to exercise self-control over our minds, that you can renew your minds. Romans chapter 12, in the first couple of verses, Paul begins to talk about this, that you can reprogram by the renewing of your mind, you become this living sacrifice that God will bring alive in you things that have been dead for years, but you've got to ask for his help. You've got to be open to it. You've got to be willing to receive it. Now, here's the, the next guideline I want to give you. Each spouse is to, is to be most concerned not with getting sexual pleasure, but with giving sexual pleasure. This is part of how we bring the... Christian sex, the Christian love ethic into the bedroom, it is putting the other person first. In other words, what God is saying through Paul here is he's saying, listen, that when you finally get to the place where you, uh, your pleasure and your arousal comes from their pleasure and their arousal, he's like, now you're doing it right. Well, you want to talk about some fireworks going off in the, in the bedroom, that's when it happens when it is healthy, when it's good, when it's God-honoring. It is the other person first. It's learning how to honor them and give your full self to them as an act of love. That's what God intended. And the times where people are getting derailed, off the rails and breaking their heart is when they cut this process short. And here's the next one I want to talk to you about. Um, sex is a sign of our oneness. Now let me just say, first of all, and this is a part of this topic here, is that one of the big problems that happens for a lot of couples in the bedroom is that one person wants sex more than the other person. Guys, I'm kind of talking to you, okay? Not always, but many times it is the male that tends to have a bigger sexual appetite than females. Not always, but here's what can happen. When we approach sex as a way to give pleasure rather than a place to just get, I just want to get for myself, then it now 
brings about an opportunity for the one who has less of a sex drive to be able to give as a gift to the other person something, right? To be able to help some, in some way. Now, let me just say that that sometimes, I know in some marriages, can be looked down upon to say, well, if you're not all passionate and you're not all in, then forget about it. No, 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 I don't want that. And I'm telling you, that is a legitimate act of love that they are offering you. Don't reject it. Don't despise it. But also, I would throw out this caveat, don't come to expect it, right? Well, this is just what you do for me now. Because whenever it starts to become an expectation you're just trying to meet, it's no longer a gift, right? It's fun to give somebody a gift. It's not that much fun to feel like, I'm just trying to meet your expectations. That bleeds all the love and the fun and thrill out of it. Come with no expectations. We're just coming to be together, to love each other, put each other first, and that's wonderful. Sex is a sign of our oneness. There's something about sex because of its nature of being so sensitive. We should not be surprised or amazed that issues will crop up in the bedroom that don't crop up anywhere else when there is past guilt and shame over past relationships or even within your current relationship or maybe it, there is mistrust, there is uh, disrespect or there is like and just an unwillingness to uh, deal with conflict. You've just not dealt with some conflict. It's funny how all those things tend to rear their ugly head in the bedroom. It's not like you can just sweep those things under the rug and act like they don't matter. Because sex being the way that it is, if your relationship is not in a healthy place, by and large, your sex life if your relationship's not healthy, your sex life is going to feel the effects of that. It's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to have sex. So it forces us to deal with some of these things that are getting in the way of oneness within our relationships. And it's so important that we are willing to say, yes, let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. Don't ever stop. Those of you who are married, you're Christians, don't ever stop working on your sex life. Be patient with one another. Keep working at it. Don't let it be something that, well, that's just optional. We'll see. It is something that we need to make a priority to continue to work on, to show our love and express our love through this beautiful channel that God has given us. It's so important. It's such a blessing. And what's really cool is that later Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, same book, later in the book, a few chapters later, he tells us that this relationship, this intimacy between a husband and wife is a reflection of God's relationship within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is a reflection of the Trinity itself. It's so beautiful that, that the act of sex is this little glimpse, this little sliver of the beautiful delight and joy that our souls will experience in heaven that it is one of those things that it's a gift from God. It should be a blessing, but when it's used inappropriately, it no longer is a blessing, it's a curse. And it no longer leads to freedom, it leads to incarceration of the heart. It's, a, it's an imprisonment, it is a bondage that people feel shackled to. Once again, thanks for listening. 
If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.